We are wrapping up this series this morning uh, called I Ain't Scared. And, uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of different things. And maybe we, we have touched on an individual fear that you have. Maybe we haven't. Um, but, uh, but, but it's there. And, and we know, that, um, we know that, that God has given us this instruction, right? Or God has given us this spirit so that we can know ourselves. It's not just an instruction like he's telling us, hey, don't be afraid. Right? He has given us the spirit. He has given us the power to do it in Jesus' name. And so we're looking at 2 Timothy 1, chapter, or chapter 1, verse 7. Um, in this, God, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And we know that God has given us that spirit, right? If we're believers, if we've if we'd invited uh, Christ, uh, or if we asked Christ to forgive us for our sins, we invite him in, uh, into our lives, we've invited the Holy Spirit to dwell within us, then we know that spirit is within us, and we don't have to be afraid anymore. Um, and, and there are some things that obviously we still get nervous about in our humanity. Um, uh, we still get nervous about things like death. We still get th- nervous about things like what's going to happen tomorrow, the future, things like that. And so we've talked about all those things, right? Um, and, and maybe we didn't mention your specific fear, but we can know that that verse, through power, love, and self-discipline, it kind of covers everything there, right? Um, and so we've got, uh, we've got one more. Um, we've, so far, we, the fears we've talked about have been like, they've been real fears, right? They've been, they've been rooted in something. Um, that there's a reason we're afraid of, of death, right? And in humanity, as humans, we're, we're kind of afraid of death because, well, we don't know what's going to come. Or, or what, but, but in Jesus, we know that we don't have to be afraid. Um, we're afraid about our future because, well, what if I don't have enough to eat or that kind of a thing. Um, this morning, we're going to talk about a fear. It's a little bit different, um, and I don't think it, it's, it's founded in anything, except it's a mystery, okay? Uh, and so we're going to get there. But uh, th- th- we're going to go to Luke chapter 15 this morning. All right, so Luke chapter 15, and it's, it's a familiar story. It's the story of the prodigal son. It's, this, it's the story of the, the lost son or, or, or that kind of thing. So we're going to go into the story. And Jesus is telling this parable. Uh, he's telling this story about these, these two brothers and, and their father. And he, tells, he says that there were, there were two brothers, and, and, and they, the youngest brother came to his father and said, uh, you know what, I want my inheritance. Can you split up their inheritance so that I can get my inheritance and I can, I can take it and do what I want with it? Um, and so the father does that. He divides his property up and he give it, gives it to the younger son. The younger son kind of immediately runs off to another country um, and, and starts spending wildly and things like that. But think about that for a second. Think about how disrespectful, how um, selfish, how, how whatever it, like that, that act is. Because what that, that son is saying to that father is, First of all, you're better off to me dead than alive. Like, I would rather have your money and your wealth and the things that you're going to leave me when you're dead. And so, so you're better off if you would just leave and I could have your stuff. I want your money more than I want you. That's what that son is saying. It's an incredible, like, just disrespectful and just absent of, of what it really means to have a relationship in that way. And so we're going to pick up in verse 14. Of Luke chapter 15, we pick up here and it says, after he had spent everything, so the son goes away to this other country, and it says, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. And so he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now remember, we got to remember Jesus' audience, right? Who's, who's Jesus' audience here? Jesus' audience is largely going to be made up of Jewish people, right? 
It's going to be made up. Uh, there's going to be some Pharisees in there. There's going to be some sinners and tax collectors in there. Maybe a few Gentiles sprinkled in there. But it's largely this, this Jewish audience. So when Jesus says things like he left his home and he went to a foreign country, that's significant to the Jewish people. Jesus, he, he is leaving the promised land. He's leaving his people. He is leaving um, all that he knows and all that has been given to him. And he's running to a foreign place. And then when Jesus says that he, he gave himself or he, he uh, hired himself out to a citizen of that country, that's a foreigner, right? So he is hiring himself out to a foreigner. He is, he is um, uh, lowering himself to being subject to the whims of somebody who is not Jewish, a Gentile. And that was significant for these people, right? Um, and when, when Jesus says that he went to feed the pigs, man, that is super significant because pigs were, were, were unclean animals, right? You weren't supposed to touch them or you'd be made unclean. You weren't supposed to eat them. They make you unclean. And yet he is longing even for the food that, that he's feeding these pigs. And so we recognize that the, the people that Jesus is talking to, they're just recognized that, man, man, this guy is low, right? Man, he has fallen far. He has hit rock bottom. This is, this is the, the lowest of low that you could possibly be. He's absolutely hit rock bottom. And the people that Jesus is talking to understand that. Let's pick up in verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. I love that line, when he came to his senses. When he came to his, sen his senses, when he had had enough, when he recognized his, his position, when he recognized how low he was, how ridiculous his life had come because of his poor decisions, when he, when he came to his senses, when he woke up, he snapped out of it. It was like he had this moment of self-reflection. He had this moment of like self-analysis. You know, where am I? What, have, what has happened? How have I gotten here? And he came to his senses. And he thought, you know what? If I can only go to my father, if I can return to my father, at least I know as a servant, I'll just go back. I'm not worthy of being a son anymore. I blew that shot a long time ago. So I'm just going to go back and I, maybe he'll hire me on. Maybe he'll let me work as a servant. Maybe he'll just, he'll just let me be there and and, and at least I'll have something to eat. I won't be a son anymore, but at least I'll have something to eat. So he went back to his father, and he says this, or it, it says this, continuing verse 20. But while the son, while he was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son. He threw his arms around him, and he kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I, or excuse me, the said, yeah, said to him, to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate son comes back home he came to his senses and he goes back home and the father welcomes him right he doesn't just welcome him. he runs to him and says come on let's go this is my son let's celebrate put the finest clothes on him 
Put, put jewelry on his fingers. Like, go out and get that cow, the fattened calf, the one that we've been saving for, the, for a special occasion because there is no better occasion. There is no more special occasion than this when my son who was dead has come home. My son who was, who was dead is now alive. My son who was lost is found. I've got my kid back. I've got my son back. And they started to party. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he asked, I lost my place. The older brother, let's see, he, was, he had music and dancing, and so he called one of the servants, and he asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he, was, he has him back, and he's safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and he pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother finds out what's going on. The older brother finds out why there's a party happening and he is angry. He is indignant. He is bitter. How could you celebrate that scoundrel? How could you celebrate him after he told you, after his actions told you that you were worth nothing to him? You were only worth your property. How could you celebrate him? I've been nothing but faithful to you. I have nothing but served you and stuck by your side. And you've never given me anything. You've never even given me a goat to celebrate with. How could you celebrate him? And the father stands by his decision, doesn't he? The father stands by his decision to celebrate. And he says, we have to celebrate. This is my son. My son has come home. We have to celebrate. This is worthy of it. Man, it's a beautiful picture. Such a beautiful picture, an incredible portrait. And, and what makes it even more beautiful is that it comes from the mouth of Jesus. Jesus is sharing this story with people. Now, you're probably thinking, I thought we were talking about fear, right? I thought we were talking about being afraid of something. So what's our fear that we're going to talk about? Can you see it yet? Our fear, we're going to change it a little bit. So we have been for the last couple of weeks, we've been kind of saying, I ain't scared with an attitude, right? I ain't scared of you, devil. I ain't scared of you, whatever future. I ain't scared of what's going to come. So we're going we're gonna to keep the statement, but we're changing our attitude a little bit. Because we're going to say, I ain't scared of God. I'm not scared of God, all right? And, 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 and I don't think we have to be afraid of God. Now, there's people probably in this room um, who are like, you know what? But the Bible says to, 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 be, to, to fear the Lord, right? To approach God with fear and trembling. And I would say, yes, the Bible does say that. And I would say that, that our interpretation of that, our understanding of that, is an understanding of that's, that's a respect, right? It doesn't mean to be afraid. It doesn't mean to be terrified of God. It means to, to understand our position in who God is, our relationship to God, that he is the God of the universe, and he is all-knowing, and he is all, everywhere present, and he, is, he has created everything. He is all-powerful, and we are not. And so we approach him humbly. We approach him respectfully. But that's not being afraid. I'm talking about this morning when we say I'm not scared of God. I'm talking about the idea that we don't have to be afraid of God in this, in this 
vision in this mode of, of thinking where God is just this, he's this angry, vengeful dictator like God. And he's just waiting around the corner and he's just hiding. He's waiting for you to mess up and he's waiting to punish you and to take it out on you because, well, because that's who he is. No, that's not the God that I know. That's not the God that I worship and that I understand. That's not how my God works. And that's not what the scripture says. The scripture that's straight from the mouth of Jesus, straight from the mouth of God himself with skin on, talks about the father. And the father's not waiting for that son to come home and punish him. That father is waiting till he sees the son a long way off and he runs to him. And he loves him. And he opens his arms and he wraps his arms around him. I wasn't going to tell this story, but it popped in my head this morning. When, when Julia and I were newly married, um, we went on our first camping trip together. And, um, and we took our little Walmart tent that we had bought. And we went out and we found a, a good site. We had re reserved a nice little site. And, uh, and the biggest rainstorm, the biggest thunderstorm that I've ever experienced in my life happened that night. I mean, if you want to experience a thunderstorm, be in a tent because you can see every single flash, right? And it was crazy. And we were under this giant oak tree, which felt like a good thing. But then I realized, no, it's not a good thing because if that thing falls, it's going to crush us, right? Um, but we stayed safe. We stayed warm because we're newlyweds. And um, so in the morning, um, we woke up. And, and it was good, and, and kind of, it was still a little bit misty, a little bit overcast, but we were okay. Um, and so we decided to go on this hike, and it wasn't really a hike because it was a gravel path. It was more of a walk, um, and it was a state park. And so we decided to go out, and as we're walking along, we're on this, on this little walk, and we're enjoying it in the morning and stuff. And um, we come across, and, and I'm just, for some reason, I'm kind of looking up in the trees, and I see hanging like 15, 20 feet over this trail is this beautiful hornet's nest like this big and I it's beautiful I love those things I look at the and I'm just like oh that thing is perfect and in my mind I go back to to camp um, where we were living at the time and in the dining hall in the corner of the dining hall there is this perfect hornet's nest that's it's there um, obviously there's no bees in it or no hornets in it right but it's and it's just like oh man that would be a really cool thing to take home with us never mind that it's a state park and it's not legal but I just look at that thing I'm like oh let's get that thing so, um, so I go and I find a stick. I'm like, all right, we got to get it down if we're going to take it. So I grab a, a, a stick that's big enough to, to knock it down, and I throw it up at this thing, and, and I hit it, and, and, and it doesn't fall. And all of a sudden, we hear it. Right? Like, oh, man. That thing was not empty. I don't know why I thought it was empty. That thing is not empty. <laughs> there are hornets all over that thing. And as we're standing there going, okay. So it's not empty. We're going to do. All of a sudden, we hear voices. Somebody's coming up the trail. And they're talking. They're having a good time. Whatever. And I'm like, "What do we do? What do we do? Walk. Just walk. Just turn around and walk." So we go. We start walking. We have. Our, we're 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 avoiding. Like uh, I don't know what the consequences this are going to be. But all of a sudden, uh, as we're walking, we hear this. Oh! 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 Ah! And these two guys come flying past us, and they're running, and they're taking. And I was like, oh, "We did that. Oh, we did that." <laughs> That was our fault. We're just not, let's just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking. And we get back to the tent eventually. Um, and Julia asked the question, like, now what's going to happen to us? And in that moment, it was like this realization, like, 
we think God is going to punish us. We think God is going to come back and he, is gonna, he, is gonna, he was waiting for that to happen and he is going to punish us. And he, you know what I mean? It's like, and, and that's not how God works. He's not waiting for an opportunity to come back and punish us. Look, look at our verse, 1 John 4.18. 1 John 4.18, we said this one in a, in a previous message, but there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. And I stopped there last time because I knew I was coming back to this. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Verse 18, the rest of it says, because fear has to do with punishment. Because fear has to do with punishment. And here is what I know. My punishment has been paid. My punishment has been covered in Jesus. Because of Jesus and through, through the, pay, the debt or through his sacrifice on the, on the cross, my debt has been paid in full. Through Jesus, what I rightfully deserved as my punishment, he took on. So there is no more punishment in that. There is discipline sometimes. There are consequences to our actions sometimes. We maybe, we, maybe if we would have told somebody, we would have got fined because we caused that. There's still consequences for our actions, but there is not a punishment from God because the punishment has already been paid in Jesus in that way. There is no fear of punishment because there is no fear in love, not in perfect love. So I ain't scared of God. I'm not scared of him because I understand that he loves me. And I'm not running from him anymore. I'm running to him now. And in my understanding of God's perfect love and the fact that he has covered that over through the righteousness, through the sacrifice of Jesus, and now we are seen through the, uh, with the righteousness of Christ that's called grace. And I ain't scared of God because of grace. Because I know that he loves me. And because I can see in this parable, here's what I understand in this parable, coming back to our scripture. God, or grace, brings God joy. Grace brings God joy. Think about it. When we look at this whole scripture, if you look um, uh, earlier in chapter 15, Jesus is telling, this, this, the parable of the lost son is a part of three parables. It's the parable of the lost sheep, it's the parable of the lost coin, and now it's the parable of the lost son. And in the parable of the lost sheep, the shepherd, Jesus says that there's a shepherd and he's got a hundred sheep, and one gets lost. One goes away, and Jesus, uh, the shepherd leaves 99 healthy, 99 well-behaved, well-mannered, staying in the corral sheep, and he leaves all of those to go find one. And he goes and he finds that one, and he finds that one, he brings it back, and he calls his neighbors, and he calls his friends, and he calls all the other shepherds, and he says, hey, celebrate with me, rejoice with me, I have brought back the lost sheep, celebrate, grace bring God joy. And the lost coin, Jesus tells the story of a woman who has 11 coins, she lost one, but she still has 10, right, that's a good amount. But she does everything that she has to do. She cleans out her whole house. She straightens everything up. She removes everything until she finds that coin. And when she finds that coin, she calls her friends and her neighbors and her family. And she says, rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. I have found my coin that was lost. I have brought it back. It is now back to me. It's my own. Celebrate with me. Grace brings God joy. And in the story of the lost son, when the son comes to his senses... And he goes back to the father, 
the father runs to him and the father celebrates he says we're going to have the biggest party you've ever seen because this is the thing that we've been waiting to celebrate he runs he sprints toward the father or towards the son and he welcomes him home and it's not with reluctance that he welcomes him home it's not well you know i guess i guess you can come back or i guess you know we'll, we we'll find a place for you in the kitchen yeah, just come on, come on, we'll, we'll do this, we'll take care of you, because you know you are family, after all, we'll take care of you. No, he welcomes him home as a son. He says, we're going to throw a party. There's no false pretense here. He says, we're going to throw the biggest party you've ever seen, get that boy cleaned up, get him home. He is my son, and I am welcoming him home. It is not with reluctance that the father welcomes the son, but rather the gifts and the welcome are lavish and extravagant and more the the party is huge right first john 3 says see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of god and that is what we are the father finds great joy in showing us grace what gifts of grace and salvation he has lavished upon us god doesn't save us he doesn't show us grace because he's has to or because he's somehow uh, obligated or required to he shows us grace because it brings him joy he shows us grace and welcomes us home because he wants to it shows us it, he, he welcomes us home and he, it brings him great joy great joy that we should be called the children of God through grace and look at what the son says. It says when he came to his senses, right? It, when, when he comes to his senses, he says, a very, it's a true statement. I am no longer worthy to be a son. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Just make me one of your servants. At least I can maybe slip in there, right? That's his plan. I'm going to go back to my dad, and I'm going I'm to just ask him for forgiveness. Enough, just enough, so that I can at least have some food, at least be a servant. Right there, let me just slip in the back door. But when we look at the father's reaction, all right, when the son actually gets home and he talks to the father, it says, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. True statement. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it, put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and, alive, and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. See, the, th the son thought, well, maybe I can just bargain my way back in the door. Maybe I can just slip in and he'll let me be a servant again. I know I'm not worthy. It's a true statement. I know all I'm good for is a servant. Maybe, even, maybe not even that. But the father completely ignores that. He completely ignores what the son says is true. He completely ignores it and he says, this is my son. This is my son. And he said, this son of mine is home. You may not think you're worthy. And you might be right. You are right. You may not think that you're worthy to be called a child of God. But guess what? God decides who you are to him. God has decided that. In everything, regardless of what you hear, regardless of what you feel, regardless of what you think, regardless of what you know to be true. God decides who you are to him. 
And who you are to him is a son or a daughter. You are a child to him. He has decided that. God decides who you are. You're his child. It has nothing to do with what you think about yourself. That guy knew he wasn't worthy. He knew he had blew his chance, that he had run away when he was a son, and he ran away. He missed it, right? The guy knew that he wasn't worthy to be called a son, but the father decided that he was a son. And what the father decides is true is what is true in the father's house. Galatians 4, 7 says that, so you are no longer a slave, but you're God's child. You are God's child. And what I love so much about this, about this, this image of the father choosing to be the son, or choosing this, this guy to be his son, regardless of whether he is worthy or not, it not only shows me that grace brings God joy, but it also shows me that grace does not depend on me. See, the son had made it up in his mind. He'd already made up his mind that I blew my shot at being called a son, and I blew my shot at being treated like a son, but it wasn't up to the son. It was up to the father. And the father had decided that he was his son. The father decides long before he gets home, when he sees him walking out on the road, when he's still a long way off, when he's still a far way off, the father decides, that's my son coming home, and he runs to him. While he was still a long way off, reminds me of a verse, rings a bell, Romans 5, 8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still a long way off, while we were still dead in our transgressions, God ran to us. And with, with no regard of whether we're worthy of it or not, he ran to us. He came to us as, as Jesus. Man, that line, while we're still a long way off, also makes me think, how far away, how long ago did God have you in mind? How long ago? I think from the beginning. From the beginning, he knew what was going to happen. There's no surprises to God. He knew for Adam and Eve what was going to happen. He's not surprised by anything. But he was willing to do what it took to have a relationship with you, individually you. He was willing to do what it took to get his kids back. And he wants you and me, and he came running in Jesus. He came running to us while we were still a long way off. When I say that grace doesn't depend on me, I do recognize we have a role to play. There is a role that we have to play. See, when you look at the scripture, the son came to his senses. That was his role. He came to his senses and he turned around and he went home. That's our role. We've got to come to our senses. And I wonder sometimes, what does it take or what's it going to take in our lives? What does it take for us to come to our senses? What is it going to take for us to come to our senses? Because God's not going to force you home. It's not going to do it. The son made a choice to leave. And the father didn't stop him. The son made a choice to walk away, to do his own thing, and the father didn't stop him. The son made a choice to come back. Those are choices. Those, that's, that's free will, right? 
That is, a, that is an option that I believe God gives us. I believe that every one of us God has the freedom to choose where we want to be. Every one of us has the freedom to choose. Do we want to be at home with the Father? Or do we want to be away feeding pigs, staying in the pig manure, feeding pig slop? We have that choice. God's not going to force you home. Because here's what I recognize. If that father grabbed that son and drug him home, kicking and screaming, and said, boy, you're going to work for me, you're going to be at my home. That's, that's not love. That's captivity, right? If he prevented him from leaving in the first place, that's captivity. That's servitude. That's slavery. You see? He let him go because he created that son, or God created us, to have a choice to walk away if we wanted to, to choose something else. I recognize that if I have a relationship with Julia and we love one another and I keep her in my house and I don't let her go free or I demand that she loves me, I demand and I force her to have a relationship with me, that's not love. That's captivity. Right? God has created us with the choice as people to serve him or to not serve him. To walk away or to walk towards him. He has created us because he wants that relationship. And if God created us without that choice, if God created us any way other than that, that's, he hasn't created people with the opportunity for relationship. He's created robots or he's created slaves who don't have a choice, who have to worship him, who have to love him. But the son came to his senses. He got up, he made the choice, and he went home to his father. What does it take to come to our senses? I ain't scared of God. Because grace brings God joy, and he's lavished it upon us. Because grace does not depend on me. And number three, because grace is for everyone. Grace is absolutely for anyone who would choose to recognize the pig slop that we're standing in and go home to our Father. It's for everybody. It's for absolutely everybody. And yes, I say that for the wayward son who, who ran off and who chose his own way and who lived in, in a ridiculous manner and spent it all. I say that for those people. But I say that for the son who stayed home, too. For the good one. For the one who did everything he was supposed to. For the one who was faithful. For the one who, who served his dad and who slaved away in the field. right? For the one who is angry and for the one who was bitter and indignant because his brother got to leave and waste all his money and come crawling back home and he was still celebrated. That brother needs grace too. That brother needs grace too. And it's not just a little bit of grace because he's almost there. It's the exact same amount of grace as the one who ran off. The brother is angry, right? He is angry and he is bitter. And he says, this entire time, I have been faithful to you, Dad. This entire time, I never walked away. I, did, I, I never disobeyed you. Really? First of all. But I never disobeyed you. I have always been faithful. To me, and you didn't even give me a goat to celebrate with my friends. But that son of yours, that son of yours who wasted your property on prostitutes, comes crawling back here and you celebrate him? Look at the dad's response. Verse 31. 
My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. First of all, first of all, he says, everything I have is yours. That's a lit- literally everything I have is yours. Remember at the very beginning, the, the younger brother demanded that his in- he be given his inheritance. And it said that the father split the inheritance between them. That means the brother literally had everything that the father had left. It was all his. So if you want a goat, go get a goat. It's yours, right? Secondly, secondly, the father turns this whole thing around on this brother. This older brother, he does, he does what we do in our house. Um, when one of our boys has, uh, uh, is acting in a way that's whatever, it's not, it's not what we expect or, or he reacts or something. Or even when he's doing something particularly funny, we'll, we'll do this thing where we say, hey, do you see what your son did? You know what your boy did at home or did at school this, this t- today? And we kind of distance ourselves and kind of, it's like, you know what, that's your problem, that's your thing. He's not mine. We're joking, of course. We recognize that he's ours, um, whichever one it may be. But we do that, don't we? And this brother, he says to the father, he says, your son, your son wasted everything he had. Your son. You know what the father does? He turns it around and he says, when this brother of yours, see that? He says, when this brother of yours, your, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. He brings it back around. And he says, it's not just mine. It's yours too. This is your family too. You have an interest here in your brother coming home. You should celebrate just like us. You should celebrate with the rest of us because your brother, what was lost, is now home. And this entire response from the, from the father to the brother, here's my point, it's grace. It's grace. He doesn't get mad at the brother and, and say, you know what, you should celebrate too. Get out of here. Fine, just go have your own, go get out in the field again. He doesn't say that. He says that everything I have is yours. Why don't you celebrate with us? Because this brother is yours too. That is grace. Because even when I have it together, I don't have it together and I need grace too, right? Grace is for everyone, not just for the obviously wayward. It's for all of us. And we all require the same amount of grace. Grace costs the exact same thing for every single one of us. That was Jesus' life. It costs the exact same across the board. Even when I've been good and obedient and faithful, I still find ways to be rebellious to my father. And for that, that grace is no different than what my brother or sister who is off living in pig slop requires. God is not an angry old man sitting on his front porch yelling at us to get off his lawn. That's not the God I know. God is not up there waiting for us to mess up with a thunderbolt in his hand ready to throw it down and strike us dead. That's not the God I know. He's called us sons and daughters. And his love is a perfect love. He loves us with a perfect love. We see it in this image of the father who runs to us. And there's no fear in love. No fear in the perfect love that he has for us. So I ain't scared of God. Because of Jesus, we have nothing to fear. We have an opportunity for a relationship with God. God is not looking for opportunities to punish us. God is looking for opportunities 
to love us and to show us love and to show us grace. That doesn't mean we go out and create those opportunities. But he is always willing to welcome us home. Why don't you all stand back up to your feet? And the prayer team can come on forward. We're going to go back in. We're going to go back in to another couple of worship songs. And um, it's ministry time. I don't know where you feel like you are. If you're the good brother that has stayed home and been obedient, and yet you still find ways to be rebellious, it's where I tend to be. I was the good son, the one who stayed home but who was rebellious behind closed doors, right? Or are you the one who has fi- you're finding yourself in pig slop? And you, what's it going to take to come to our senses, right? What's it going to take for God to bring us home? We want to pray with you this morning as we do these next couple of worship songs. If you want prayer, move on forward. If you want prayer for something that has nothing to do with this message, we want to pray with you too for that. Nobody's going to judge you. And I also remind you that communion is in the back if you want to continue your act of worship in that way. You can just move at any time during this song.